The very first verse of the Bible tells us who God is. He was the one who made heaven and he made earth. And by the knowledge of what we can see in the heavens, first of all, and on the earth, we get to see a little of what he is. You see, there it is. The first thing it says of God is he made the heaven. The heavens are utterly amazing. But look what the scripture says. It says it right throughout. We could get dozens of quotes that say this. But in number, uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, it says this. Thou, even thou, O Lord alone, thou hast made the heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host. Thus saith the Lord that maketh thee thereof, is the maker thereof. The Lord that formed it and to establish it, the Lord is his name. So you can see there even in Job and in many, many other quotes, it says in the scriptures that the great creator who made the heavens is the great God. Now, there's the first point in which we can understand God. You see, his knowledge is just beyond comprehension. Look, he challenges up. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created these? That's his challenge to us. He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and, listen to this, calls them each by name because of his mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Just think of it. He named every one of the stars. Look. Ten trillion, billion, very beautiful stars, says men who have studied the sky. Here's the greatness of the God that we're worshipping. Incredible. Incredible. Now, outer space, what, was it like? what is it like? Young people, anybody got any idea what it's like to live out there? Well, it's very beautiful, but very, very dangerous. Very dangerous place to be. You see, going back to 2009... The astronomers were studying over in America some of the constellations. This is a constellation. A constellation is a group of thousands and thousands of stars. But what they saw was just boggling. This is what they saw. They saw two constellations come clashing towards each other. Here we are, thousands and thousands, maybe millions of stars. Go boom. What would you expect to see? This is what happened. After that collision, some passed through in the central part without colliding with others, but the other part hit other stars, rocketed out. Outer space is an incredible, dangerous place. Sometimes some of the stars explode. Look at that. Stars exploding, releasing massive amounts of energy. Here we are, 2007. It's not uncommon for this to happen. And you know, outer space is made up of various constellations. There are huge groups of stars, as we talked about before. Huge groups of stars. But only one of them is that safe to be in. These are very dangerous. Very dangerous. The irregular galaxy, the, that one there, the elliptical galaxy, very dangerous. And the spiral galaxy is dangerous except him. Well, we'll see. Safe in a few spots. 
Here's one spot where the earth is. Only in that location is it safe. Now, God made the heavens and he put us there. He put us in that safe spot. Of all the constellations, only that type is safe and only in that spot is it safe. There's our God. The heavens contain trillions and billions of very beautiful stars. The heavens declare the glory of God, says the psalmist. But look at this. God is supremely powerful. He made the heavens. That's the God we worship. Now stop and pause and think about it. There is God. Remember our title? Who is God? There is God. Now let's go a little further than that. You see, it says also that he made the earth. There's the earth and just in the background there's the moon. There's the earth. God made the earth. Now what does that teach us? Well, look at this. He is a creator who cares for us. Proverbs 29 verse 25 states, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whosoever put his trust in the Lord shall be safe. He cares for us. Remember he put us in that spot in the constellation? Safe. But it's even better than that. Psalms 34 verse 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Do you? That's what we need to do. And as we look at the solar system and the universe and all that, we have clear evidence there is a God who is all-powerful and cares. You see, maybe it's worth turning this one up. We're going to look at it again in a few moments, possibly. Isaiah, almost in the middle of our Bible. Isaiah chapter 40. If you haven't got time, doesn't matter. It's going to be on the PowerPoint there. So don't get too worried about it. But in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12, we read this. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out the heavens with a span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a balance? Yes, he made the universe, but he also made the earth where we are, ladies and gentlemen, he made that earth. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord or been his counsel and taught him? No one, no one. He did it himself. In all his wisdom, that's what he did. So the God we are worshipping is a profound and wonderful God. It was not a casual act. What does that mean? What do you think that means? Is it just chance? Of course not. Of course not. It was carefully planned in the beginning. Look at this quote. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 10. And thou Lord in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of thy hands. God did it. God did it. And you know he cares for us wonderfully. Isaiah 40. Let's look at verse 28. What do we read there? Hast thou not known? He's asking us. Hast thou not heard? Have you? That the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainted not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. 
He doesn't weary. He's infinitely powerful. He cares, as we're going to see again in a moment. And there's no searching his understanding. It's profound. Think of the stars. Well, here's the solar system, not laid out in the normal way we do. We've compacted it in this picture. There's the sun in its size relative to the other planets in their size, going from the closest Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, right out to the limits of the solar system, Pluto, right? So there they are. Wonderful. But there was a scientist some years ago. I don't know if you'll know the name of him. He said this. There is that. Is it? Any young ones tell me what Isaac Newton discovered? No? Oh, well, he discovered a lot of things, but he discovered weight and things like that and so forth. But look what he says. He's very, very famous scientist, one of the greatest scientists the world has ever seen. And he says this. There, this most beautiful system could only proceed from an intelligent and powerful being. So who is God? Made the heavens, made the earth, made the solar system, which we're looking at now and consider it. Isn't this wonderful? You see, let's maybe come back to that one for a minute. Here's the earth, here's Venus, then Mars, then the Sun. So we're going out there away from the Sun. So there's the Earth. The closest is, a little closer, is Venus. A little bit further out is Mars, right? Let's have a look at it. There's Venus. Oh, in the 1960s, we sent a spaceship to Mars, uh, to Venus. We were thinking that would be a really good sp space spot to go to. Hmm. They didn't like it when that cut there. It went in through this, which has mainly a cloudy outer part, and it came back before it melted with this statement. Venus's temperature is 460 degrees centigrade. Go a little closer to the, mar ma to the sun than we are now, and that's the temperature get. Ooh, we wouldn't cope for very long there, would we? Fraction of a second. Well, let's go further out. Only two, three years ago, we sent a sat spaceship to Mars. It came back telling us it's hmm, not terribly comfortable up there, minus 60 degrees. So if you go further from the sun than us, it's too cold. Closer to the sun, far too hot. So here we are. Here's the sun, here's Venus, here's Earth, here's Mars. Too hot, just right, too cold. What do the scientists call that? This spot in the green here. Oh, sorry. Come back. Let me come back too. That's it. This spot in the green, they call it this. The Goldilocks zone. It's the only spot where life could exist. Only spot where it's nice. In that spot there. Who did all that? God. And all his wisdom. It's just inconceivable that we could have been come by pure chance you know that trip to Mars only a couple of years ago came back with another statement that was very bothering you see here's the sun and 93 million miles away here's the earth okay they put it together in that picture around the earth is a magnetic field you know that because you get a compass out and it points to the north doesn't it all south depends which way you want to look at it okay there it is 
but it has this magnetic field around it and it has a wonderful advantage because anything that comes from the sun that's charged is diverted. You know, you get a wire and put electricity through it and put it near a magnet, switch the electricity on, it'll get pushed out of the way. Well, that's what happens to the radiation from the sun. It gets pushed out of the way by the radiation, by the magnetic field. Now, that magnetic field is way out into space from the Earth. It even covers parts of the moon. So if you go to the moon, you, you're reasonably safe. But go outside of that, ah, this is what they found. Look at the date, only a few years ago. The Earth's magnetic field shells the planets from 99.9% .9 of harmful radiation from the sun. It does exactly the same as if we were inside a slab of steel one metre thick. So if we go to Mars, boys, and you're going to travel to Mars, you're going to have to have a suit around you that's made a metre thick of steel all around if you're going to get there safely. The only spot that's safe is in the magnetic field of the Earth. Only in the magnetic field of the Earth is it safe. So coming back to our picture, God is supremely powerful. But he's not only that, he's very caring. He's made the earth and put it in the right spot. He's made the heavens so we can see his greatness in all its amazing power. But he has put us in a spot that shows that he cares. He cares for us, brethren and sisters and young people. And that's something we need to take into mind and take to mind as we think about these things. But now... Come back to Genesis chapter 1. Now, if you're not marked this in, you need to. I'm not going to go into it in any great detail, but it's worth going one step further. Now, come to the end of the creation days. The last great work that he did was making man. Now, remember our title, Who is God? Well, we've dealt with that. Now, who is the Son of God? And who are the sons of God? That's what we want to look at now. Well, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says this, And God said, and there the word is the Elohim, it refers actually to God's servants, the angels that do his will. The Elohim said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. That's what he the angels working on God's behalf said. Now look at this closely. First of all, we are in his image. Now I dare say the angels are built in the image of God himself. So yes, it's the image of the great creator. But here it's referring to his servants, the angels. Look at this. We won't turn it up, but in Genesis chapter 18, verses 2 and 3, verse 10, tells us what those angels look like. Remember it said they're in the image. We are in the image of those angels. The Lord appeared unto him, that's Abraham, and he sat in the tent door. There he is. There's the tent behind us. <laughs> and um, in the heat of the day, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself to the ground. Who were there, those three men, young people? Isaac, 
Exactly. They are angels. Now, how do we know they are angels? Well, in verse 10 it says, They said to Abraham, Lo, Sarah, thy wife shall have a son. And she did. About a year later on. Exactly as predicted. Clearly they were infinite in their power too. They were given power by God to speak of what would happen. And so the Lord appeared and manifested himself in three angels that stood outside that tent door and spoke to Abraham. Said, yes, Abraham, your very old wife, well beyond the age of having children, is going to have some. It's going to have a child. And she did. She did. So there had to be angels doing the will of God. You know, but they looked like men O Lord O God lift up thine hand he bowed the heavens also and came down and darkness was upon his feet now remember what we read in Genesis chapter 1 that we are in the image of the angels who are in the image of God so there we can see it but let's go further than that come back to that verse again the here we are on that sixth day, the creation is about to stop. And he said one other thing. Let us make man in our image, after our in our image, and after our likeness. Did I get that wrong in the last one? Doesn't matter. I think that should be in likeness. Doesn't matter. That word there relates to up here. My apologies, I've made a mistake. But doesn't matter. That means the mental capacity of the angels. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 7 said, for man indeed being in the image and glory of God. So there we are. But now, I'll jump that one quickly because I made that mistake. Come with me now to Exodus chapter 3. Now we want to come a little bit further on and we want to deal with the sons, the son of God and later the sons of God. Now, you remember Moses. Moses fled Egypt when he was young and he went out into the area of Sinai. And down in the area of Sinai, the angel came to him or God came to him. And we read in verse 13 of what took place. He saw a burning bush. There it is. But it wasn't consumed. It stunned him. And he came closer and closer to it. And we read in verse 13... And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say, and say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? So you see, he came to that bush, and when he came to that bush, God said to him, I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to go and confront Pharaoh. And I want you to bring all the children of Israel out of Egypt into the area of Sinai, back to here. It's an amazing thing. One man, he had to do that. So he said, when I go back to the Jews, what their question they're going to ask me is, who's this God? Because in Egypt they worship many gods. What's his name? What's his name? That's what they asked. And look what he said. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am have sent me unto you. I don't know if any of the young ones know what that is in Hebrew. 
But there we are. He said to him, I am that I am. That's what God said to him. But you see, in the Hebrew, it was a little different. In the Hebrew, it was in the future tense. And it is, I will be whom I will be. Now, if you haven't got that in your margin, it's worth jotting it in. It isn't in the present tense. It's in the future tense. Okay. And in the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word normally rendered Lord in capitals. Okay. Or sometimes God in capitals. Wherever that is, that is the proper name of God. When somebody speaks at another man, it is Yahweh. He, who he will be. So what is it telling us? It's telling us that God would manifest himself in other people. Be seen in other people in that which they do as they try to walk in the ways of God. And that's what we should be doing. That's what we should be doing. You know, just pause for a minute on this subject. The subject we call it God manifestation really is probably one of the most important subjects of the whole Bible. Because what God wants of us is to reflect his qualities. Manifest, manifest his characteristics. And that gives honour to him and that's the thing that he desires of us, that we walk in his way. So really in some regards, this is one of the most important subjects in the whole Bible. Well, let's move on. You see... To come aside from that a little tiny bit, there is that word Lord, as I said before, sometimes rendered that way. There's the Hebrew for it. Of course, you read the Hebrew back to front, don't you? But it's Yod, Heth, Vav, Heth. That's Yahweh. Some of the young ones here will know their Hebrew. Um, can some of you tell me, anybody like to tell me, there it is again, see that one there, Lord of hosts. What's that Hebrew word? Any like to tell me? Those who not learn Hebrew? Because I know some of you have. <laughs> oh, well, there we are. Let's not worry about it. It's the Hebrew word, Sabaoth. <laughs> okay. All right, so coming back to that then, here are the names and titles of God in the scriptures. Now, for some of the young ones, I don't think it's going to be possible, but I had hope with the photocopier work, we could have given them a, a little copy of some of this. They could keep that in mind as they read the Bible. But so when you see that word, Lord... It's the word Yahweh. He who will be, or he who will be manifest, as the idea of it is, in other people. And of course, he's manifest in a host of individuals. These are the faithful down through time. So, he's sometimes manifested in armies in Israel. Yahweh of armies, a host. And the word is also rendered Lord God. Very often in the scriptures, and the word God has three possible Hebrew words. There they are. I could ask you again, but I'm not sure I'm getting a willing support for those who know their Hebrew. But there's the word El, and that means power. He who is manifesting power. Wow, we saw that, and he made the heavens. He made the earth. There is his power. But it's also in this word here, Ella, Eloah. And it speaks of a mighty one, like the Lord Jesus Christ or Gideon or Samson or some of those. And so sometimes it's written, Lord God, 
but it refers to powerful individuals or powerful angels like Gabriel, mighty ones. He who is manifested in mighty ones. And lastly, the most common, Elohim. He who is manifested in mighty ones. And of course, thousands of times that's used, that combination in the scriptures. And it refers to God being manifested through his angels or sometimes in his people that he is developing now. And that's what we want to talk about in a moment. He is working today and we can be one of those Elohim through which he will be manifest in us. That's what we need to be doing most of all. And God delights in people who do that. Well, let's move on. We won't turn this up. Probably we should have time, but doesn't matter. It's there. This is a beautiful psalm. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. We know that's true. Look at what we looked at. The great wonders of his creation. We could go into all sorts of other things that he's made. Human beings. You know, years ago, you got appendicitis, they took it out. Not now, if they can help it, because they found out it does a whole lot more than they thought. We are wonderfully created. When I consider the heavens, said David the psalmist, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast made, didn't have to lift his hand to do it, just the work of his fingers. What is man? What's us? that thou art mindful of us and the Son of Man, that thou visitest him. And he's referring to Jesus Christ. We're going to look at that in a minute. For thou hast made him, especially Jesus, a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honour. Where's he seated now? At God's right hand. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, Thou hast put all things under his feet. You know, when he was here, he could do miracles. But now, the scriptures tell us that all things in the earth are being put subject to him on behalf of his Father. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Thy name? That he would be manifest in others, and primarily here in Jesus, and we pray with ourselves. Well, let's move on. In John chapter 7, it says to us, Jesus answered them, talking to many of those that came to see him, and said, My doctrine, that which I teach, is not mine, but his that sent me. I say what God wants me to say. If any man will do his will. Now, are we doing that? He shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I, I speak of myself. You'll know that I'm speaking the truth, he says. He that speaketh of himself speaketh his own glory. But he that seeth his glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, the manifestation of God's glory, that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. So those who see Christ and follow in his footsteps and walk in that right way will be doing that which is, in the, is to the glory of God. Now, come back to what we looked at before. Now, I'd like you to come with me to John 17. Only because, well, it's on the PowerPoint. You don't have to turn it up if you don't want. But it is a very powerful, powerful chapter and verse or series of verses. 
Remember Jesus, the son of Yahweh. God's name means I will be whom I will be. In other words, I'll be manifested. And the first and foremost person to which I did that fully is in my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We get that point in John 17, verse 6. I have manifested thy name. Thy name. That ought to be ringed. Unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. So what did he do? He represented the divine qualities and characteristics. God himself was manifested in him. And that's how he reflected and manifested that name. I will be whom I will be. And manifested the qualities and characteristics of God himself. Now look at verse 11. And no, I am no more in the world, but now these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. So he says he goes further. See that? It's not just me that is a manifestation of God. It is we pray ourselves if we walk in God's way. If we allow God to affect us and change us and prepare us for that kingdom. So you see, it's quite vital. Now, I'd like to take Jesus just for a moment. It's quite fascinating to follow it. Maybe it's worth looking at some of these quotes. Come with me to Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 1. You see, at the very birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, a woman got a visit. She was a virgin. She was Mary. Mary got a visit from Gabriel. Verse 20, 26. And the sixth day, the angel, uh, sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to be a man, to, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto him and said, Hail thou that art highly favoured. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this was about. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and shalt bring forth a son that shall be called Jesus, Yahweh shall save, is the meaning of the word Jesus. God will work through you and you shall have a son. It will be miraculous. It will be by the power of the Spirit working on you. God will do it. He will be manifested in that child, in you and in that child. Now, if you come back with me to Matthew chapter 1, it's actually almost the same incident or same time, but... It's not recorded in Luke, but Matthew chapter 1 and verse 28, say, uh, verse 29 says something very thrilling. Something very thrilling indeed. Matthew chapter 1, oh, verse 23. My mistake. Look at verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and he's quoting from Isaiah, and shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. 
What's he saying? He's saying that this child, he's saying that this is what Mary was told. This child that's going to be born is going to be a manifestation of God in our midst. One in whom God is going to put power and strength to do his will. Who's going to mould his character and change him and prepare him for the kingdom. Prepare him, prepare him to rule this earth. Now, how is that going to be achieved? Well, I think we've got time. Come with me to Isaiah 40. Isaiah, sorry, 50. And Isaiah 50 shows you how God worked with Christ. Oh, it's very exciting. Very exciting indeed. Because in Isaiah 50 and verse 4, we read of what took place. The Lord Yahweh hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season. And this is referring to Jesus. To him that is weary. He wakeneth me morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. So think of it. There's baby Jesus growing up. And night and morning, morning by morning, the angel is whispering in his ear, educating him, educating him, educating him, educating him in the word. So that by the time he was 12 years of old age and he went down to Jerusalem, he stood before the leaders of that time. He stood before the teachers of that time. Now, I'll turn it up just to save you a little bit of time. But in Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 2 and verse 46, here he is, only a young man. He's going down there to Jerusalem for the first time probably with his mother and father. And we read in verse 46 what took place. It was a thrilling occasion. And it came to pass that after three days, his parents found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors. Other versions render that the teachers, both hearing and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Oh, just think of it. Here are the leaders, the religious leaders, the teachers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests. They were just stunned at this young man's knowledge. Where did it come from? It was whispered in his ear, morning by morning by morning. God formed him, changed him, prepared him for that kingdom. And so lastly, come with me to Luke chapter 22. If you can turn that up at time. It says to us there at the end of the chapter, here we are now coming toward the time when he's going to be crucified and pass off the scene. And in Luke chapter 20, oh sorry, Matthew chapter 22, it did look wrong when I turned it up. But in Matthew chapter 22, it's only a few days before his crucifixion, we read in verse 46 that what had been happening was the Pharisees and Sadducees are coming to him and questioning him and trying to show, get, get him to say something that's wrong, trying to show he's, he doesn't know, doesn't understand, he's weak in knowledge. And at the end... Verse 46, and no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. He, they couldn't fault him in his understanding. There we can see God working through his son. I will be manifested and who I will be manifested. And that son knew that truth infinitely. 
Nobody knew it anything like him. He was so different. Well, in our reading, we read, we won't turn it up this time because you've had it read. You can if you wish. But in Ezekiel chapter 30, we come now on to when Moses went to Mount Sinai. There the children of Israel would have been at the base of Mount Sinai. And Moses went up to the, into Mount Sinai and he beseeched God. He said, look, God, show me thy glory, please. He said, I will make, and God said, I will make all my goodness to pass before thee. Here's my glory. I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before thee. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. See what he's saying? Moses says, I want to see your glory. God says, my glory is my name. I will be manifested in whom I will be manifested. Then he went on to say this, as was read to us well in a few moments ago. And the Lord passed before him, before Moses, and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, or he who will be manifested, he who will be manifested in mighty ones, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and a transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, unto the third and fourth generation. What's he saying? He is saying this, I want to be manifest in a multitude. That multitude of the believers, we pray ourselves, who walk in this way, who follow these qualities, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abundant in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and will not follow the ways of wickedness. There's what he wants us to do, and he wants to work within us to achieve that, like he did with his son. He wants to achieve that in us. Let it happen. You see, this is summarised in one verse by the Apostle Paul. Remember what it said back there, those qualities, maybe I'll go back for a second, loving qualities and severe. Here it is, Paul says, Behold, therefore, the goodness, those six first qualities, and the severity, the last of God. On them that fell, severity. But toward thee, and he's talking to the believers, and us we pray, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt be cut off. How do we do that? We look at God's qualities, seen in his son, and model ourselves upon that and follow in those ways, and we will be found there in a kingdom age. That's wonderful, isn't it? That is the greatest subject, really, of the whole scriptures, really. God manifestation. So you may have John 17 still open, but the believers, the sons of Yahweh, Jesus said, and this is life eternal, that they, no doubt talking to his disciples, and all those down through time who have followed in that right way, might know thee the only true God and his son, Jesus Christ, whom thou hast seen. Now that's what we must learn. As we study the Bible, we see the qualities and characteristics of God. And we should allow those qualities to manifest themselves in us. First, the John chapter 3 verse 2 says, 
beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appear, we shall be like him. He's talking about the return of Jesus Christ. He's talking about the influence of Jesus Christ preaching in the early days and now today through the word of God. And if it has an influence upon us, we will become sons of God. And if we are sons of God, when he comes, we will be like him. That doesn't mean we'll have the same outward-looking appearance of Christ, but our qualities and our characteristics will be the characteristics of Christ. That's what we need to be. And we will be truly the sons of God, like he is the son of God. Well, John 17 goes on. I do not ask for these only, said Jesus, but also for those who will believe in him through their word. That's us, down through time. That they may be all one with God, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that ye have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, united in qualities and characteristics. That's what we need to be doing. And so here's a picture, a depiction of that. So Yahweh becomes one in a multitude, says 1 Corinthians 15. That's what we've been saying. So God and his qualities over here are seen, first of all, one in Jesus Christ. And then in a multitude, can't quite see it. I couldn't get it dark right. Didn't know how to do it. But there it is. There's the ecclesia, the church, if you call it that, of those who are faithfully walking in God's ways. I will be whom I will be, said Jesus, as said God. He will be whom he will be in the believers. Primarily in Christ, the Son of God, and in the believers, the sons of God. Wonderful. Wonderful. You know, one of our earliest writers, Dr John Thomas, wrote many years ago in a magazine called The Herald of the Kingdom Age. And I quoted it because it's very well worded. Might be a bit heavy worded, but still. Man was not ushered into being for the purpose of being saved and lost. So God didn't just make us so that we might become immortal. God manifestation, not human salvation, was the grand purpose of the eternal spirit. He wanted us to reflect his characteristics and then he will give to us life eternal. The salvation of a multitude is incidental to the manifestation, but is not the end proposed. The eternal spirit intended to, be to enthrone himself on the earth and in so de doing develop a divine family from among men. And this family will be large enough to fill the earth when perfected. There's his aim. That this earth will give glory to him. There will be a multitude in this earth who all honour him, who have desired to be like him and follow his qualities and characteristics and who will do so in the kingdom age. God will take out from the human race as many for his name as his purpose requires. God will do that. And we believe the time is nearly at hand when Christ's return is almost here. It's just around the corner. This is the world that's going to come. 
It will be a world we pray we will be part of it. We're not going to look at these quotes. We haven't time. A world ruled by a just king, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who manifests his Father, the great Yahweh. It will be a beneficent world that will be caring for other people. Okay? The leaders in that day, those who followed Christ, the true sons of God, they will rule and care. True justice will be for all people. There will be worldwide peace. There will be one worldwide language, says the scriptures. You think of the chaos with the multitude of languages we have today. There will be one worldwide religion. Again, thousands of religions today, but God will see that there is only one. All will worship the one true God. Remember what happened to the Jews? They went into captivity in Babylon because they believed in a multitude of gods. When they came out, they realised very clearly they should only worship one, the one true God. And in the kingdom age, all will. There will be genuine security with no violence. You know, at times we worry, but we won't have any worry in the kingdom age. There will be agricultural plenty. Speaks in the scriptures of the desert will be blossom as a rose. Yes, and even the wilderness will be productive. There's that quote, Isaiah 35, that says that. What a wonderful prospect is before us. So what should we do? Well, we should know that there is a God who made the heavens and made the earth, and he is supreme. He cares, and he wants us to reflect his qualities, his characteristics, so that we become not sons of ourselves, but sons of God, like Jesus, manifesting God's qualities and characteristics to his glory. That's what's needed. And then the result? Well, the world will be a wonderful place. The Bible ends. We won't turn to it. But in Revelation chapter 21, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. Those who follow his ways, who develop his qualities and characteristics. And God shall then wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor sighing, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. There's a little depiction of the picture that Ezekiel describes of the wonderful temple that will be built in Jerusalem in that day. What a prospect we have before us. We can be part of all that. Let us be careful that we walk in that right way. And then indeed the earth will be truly filled with the glory of God from one end of it even to the other. You know, it's wonderful. But you see, we need to act now. Jesus, as he ascended into heaven, had one last final word, and these are the words he spoke. As he went up from the Mount of Olives, there's Jerusalem, there's the Mount of Olives just over there. When he ascended to heaven out of the Mount of Olives, the angel said, or he said, and he said unto them, to the disciples, Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptised shall be saved, but he that believeth not, shall be condemned. There were three simple steps to follow. Believe the gospel. 
That's the good news of what God is about to accomplish upon this earth through his son. The things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And then having believed that, we need to be baptised. That baptism is a fully, full committing or commission, committing to following in the ways of God. Following the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. Determining to do that which is right. And then continue faithfully. And the result will be when the earth is filled with the glory of the God, we'll be there. We'll be there. Well, we'll leave it at that point, but you can see, can't you, that that is a magnificent subject, one of the greatest subjects of the whole of the Bible. Who is God? Supremely powerful, caring. Who is the Son of God? He's the Lord Jesus Christ, whom God sent and God moulded and prepared to manifest perfectly his qualities. Who are the sons of God? We pray ourselves, who we pray follow in the footsteps of Christ, manifesting Christ's qualities, which are God's qualities, so that we find a place in the kingdom shortly to be established. Thank you.